Welcome to Grain Talk, a podcast by Grain Farmers of Ontario. I'm Rachel Telford. The Grain Talk podcast can be found on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. In this episode of Grain Talk, we will speak with Dave McEachran, a farmer and Grain Farmers of Ontario District Director. He represents District 4, Middlesex. Dave was recently involved in a video shoot for CTV called Fields to Forks. The video series is designed to raise awareness about agriculture in Ontario, and the focus of this video was sustainability and Dave's use of cover crops in his fields. First, a Grain Talk News update. At the Grain Farmers of Ontario annual general meeting this week, it was announced that CEO Barry Senf will step down from the role in April 2020. Barry took leadership of Grain Farmers of Ontario in 2009, just before the organization launched as an amalgamation of the Ontario Corn Producers Association, Ontario Soybean Growers, and the Ontario Wheat Producers Marketing Board. Barry led the organization through its growth as the largest commodity organization in Ontario, including the addition of barley and oat farmers into membership. Over this period of time, Barry played a key role in fighting unnecessary government regulations on farming and ensuring government programs were scrutinized for opportunities to better help farmers. Under Barry's leadership, Grain Farmers of Ontario placed an unprecedented focus on public outreach about grains and grain farming, and farmer members benefited from focused and advanced research investments and a team dedicated to market development. Grain Farmers of Ontario has begun the search for the next CEO. Premier Doug Ford, Ernie Hardiman, the Minister of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs, and Parliamentary Assistants Toby Barrett and Randy Pettipiece hosted a roundtable with farmers and agriculture organizations at Canada's Outdoor Farm Show this week. They discussed the current challenges faced by the agri-food industry, including the ongoing trade disruptions. During the group discussion, Minister Hardiman updated participants on the province's work to support the industry's efforts to remain viable and secure new export markets. Grain Farmers of Ontario was represented at the meeting by Chair Marcus Hurl, and later on in the podcast, when we get an update from Marcus, he's going to share some highlights about the meeting. The governments of Canada and Ontario are supporting research that will help improve Ontario soil health while reducing phosphorus entering the waterways. Nearly $240,000 in cost-share funding was announced this week to enhance soil protection and support precision agriculture technology research under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership. One project will see Grain Farmers of Ontario receive more than $60,000 to evaluate soil type, elevation, treatment, and frost damage on cover crops. This project will help grain farmers increase their knowledge of innovative technologies and improve the adoption of cover crop management to help reduce phosphorus entering the Lake Erie watershed. Harvest season is a stressful time for farmers. Long hours in the field and worrying about the weather and crop condition can put a strain on your mental well-being. That's why Grain Farmers of Ontario is hosting a farmer wellness webinar series with Kathy Summers of the High Stress and Performance Clinic at the University of Guelph. The next webinar will focus on how to get better sleep and will be held on September 18th at 10 a.m. Participants will learn the most effective drug-free strategies to promote better restful sleep, including the three keys to decreasing insomnia, what robs us of energizing sleep, how to fall asleep or back to sleep more easily, and techniques that settle down the busy brain, making it easier to sleep. Most people in North America are having trouble with shutting their busy brain off when they're in bed. They're trying too hard to make themselves fall asleep. And so my top tip would be stop trying so hard. Instead of saying, I've got to fall asleep right now, tell yourself it's so nice to sink down into this mattress 
to feel the pillow supporting my head, to be warm and cozy underneath the blankets, and rest, resting my brain, resting my body, smoothing my forehead, my eyes, my jaw, and let yourself sink into sleep by just resting everything. For more information on each webinar and to register, go to gfo.ca. And now, here's my conversation with Dave McEachran. Joining us on the podcast this week is Dave McEachran. He's a farmer and also one of our directors here at Green Farmers of Ontario. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Dave. Thank you, Rachel. Glad to be here. So, Dave, let's first uh, start off by talking a bit about your farming operation. Can you tell us a little bit about your family farm? So, our family farm is located uh, just outside of Glencoe, Ontario, which is southwest of London. Uh, Our family-operated farm includes uh, myself, my dad, John, and his brother, Earl. So the three of us, uh, and my fiance, Tennille. So the, uh, basically the three of us are uh, running, running a large family grain farm operation. Uh, we have a few cattle. Uh, we used to have a lot more cattle. We've kind of got out of that and focused on the grain side of things. We crop about 2,400 acres of land. And on, that, on those acres, we grow corn, soybeans, winter wheat, and quite a few cover crops. And why did you decide to become involved with Green Farmers of Ontario as a director? That's a great question. That's a tough one because um, i got to think back. It's been, uh, been more than a few years. I uh, was actually uh, part of the Grains in Action program uh, that Grain Farmers of Ontario puts on. I was uh, invited to join that uh, tour of industry here in the province. And from there, I eventually became a delegate on our county uh, district. And then uh, a few years later, the director for our district was uh, hinting that he was retiring and was nudging me on the shoulder that I should be stepping up and uh, taking his place or, or running at least for the position. So that's, uh, that's how that all came about. And I guess what is either the biggest highlight or the biggest challenge as being a member of the organization in terms of a leadership role as a director? So biggest highlight, uh, you know, I've had my eyes really open to the amount of involvement that the Grain Farmers of Ontario has within Ontario in different organizations, other industry organizations, but even more so on a national level. Uh, I really had no idea. I was quite naive to the amount of involvement uh, in different organizations and committees, as I said, both on a provincial and national organization. Uh, we are very much looked up to as a, a well-ran, very professional organization in the industry across the country. Um, some challenges uh, being on the board, uh, time commitment, you know, it's a, it's a significant enough time commitment. Um, and, uh, you know, it's you deal with government a lot uh, and uh, policy creation and stuff like that. It, it can be... Uh, challenging and testing by times uh but uh, that's a good thing as well like it's a challenge but it's not a bad thing and as a director you're also sometimes i guess asked to be a bit more public facing um and the reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast today is because you were recently involved in our fields to forks video can you tell us a little bit about that uh interaction in terms of the video shoot yeah so uh we i've been involved in several uh, radio interviews, many, many uh, dozens of me- uh, print media interviews, but hadn't done too many, uh, you know, video interviews or to that uh, to that caliber for for television. 
so that was fun. Uh, my fiance Tennille was a little bit nervous about being on TV and being interviewed, um, but we got through that. Uh, it was a great. It was well uh, well set up, well organized. Um, the crew came out from CTV, uh, and we spent uh, you know most of the morning doing some different shoots around different parts of the farm. And yeah, you you put in three or four hours worth of. Uh, you know, running around and, and interview time and camera time and, and all for a, a, minute, and a, half. a minute and a half video, which uh, we've had a lot of compliments on and it's it's got out there over quite an area. So, yeah, no, it was it was a great experience. And can you tell us a little bit about, I guess, the focus of the video and, and what you were, were sharing on camera? Right. So this uh, particular segment of Fields to Forks had to deal with sustainability in, in farming and specifically in grain farming. And so that's what we focused on. So a lot of the questions we're focused on was what practices are we using on our farm operation um, to uh, to reach our sustainability goals? What is sustainability? And uh, also, you know, what does it mean to consumers? You know, those were those are the kind of the focus of it. And how did you answer that question? What is sustainability? That's something that we've talked about on the podcast before sustainability and how it means so many different things to, to different people. So from your perspective, what is sustainability? Yeah. So as a producer, uh, I look at sustainability with the, the three legs. Uh, you know, you've got your economic uh, leg of sustainability that I need to be my business needs to be economically sustainable. Sustainability in its own is, is being here tomorrow and being in business tomorrow. Um, and the next day and, and on down the road. So the, there's a financial part of that, uh, an economic financial part of that. Uh, there's a social part of it, which is, you know, doing the right thing, uh, farming in my community, around my neighbors, uh, so that it's acceptable to them. Um, you know, communicating uh, different field applications to some of our neighbors so that they are aware of, one, what we're doing, what we're applying, um, and, and, you know, those conversations lead to more conversations and builds interest in the farm. Uh, the third one is environmental sustainability. So operating our business in a way that doesn't have a negative impact on the environment. And, and if there are negative impacts, limiting those negative impacts uh, as much as possible. Um, but being mostly, uh, you know, extremely aware of what those impacts could be or possibly be. And, uh, you know, if, if we don't treat the environment uh, in a sustainable manner, you know, we won't have the environment to farm in down the road. So that uh, most of what we do on the farm is very much part of the environment. I want to pick up on something you just mentioned in terms of being a good neighbor. Are, are you in a situation where you have neighbors who aren't necessarily farmers? There's a large movement of folks moving from urban areas into rural areas. And in that uh, when that takes place, you... You, you also have many generations now that are generations and generations removed from the farm. So they don't have the, the dads, grandpas, mums and dads, grandma and grandpas that, that grew up on the farm or lived on the farm. And so those folks, um, yeah, those interactions, my experience has been quite positive in the fact that those people are absolutely intrigued with what we're doing. They just, they love when I stop and talk to them. They love the information. They love having some of their questions answered. Um, I do know there's uh, there's other farm operations in certain areas that don't have that positive uh, relationship. You know, people are, uh, you know, maybe uneducated on what is happening. And so they have a very uh, negative, uh, negative tone towards what's happening. 
I know, for example, we're not farmers, but we do live uh, in a farming community. And our neighbors just this past weekend came across the road and said, hey, we're going to be spreading manure out on the field. Might be a bit smelly. Keep your windows closed. And just those kind of small things, it's, it really makes for good neighborly relations. Yeah, absolutely. I know uh, we were in the springtime when we put uh, liquid fertilizer onto our wheat crop uh, with our sprayer. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a pesticide we're applying. It's just a fertilizer product. But but to uh, um, to an urban neighbor, uh, they see the sprayer and they think, uh, you know, pesticides are what comes to mind. When I pull in and I see a, a laundry line full of clothes, I, I'll pull right up to the house with the sprayer before I pull in the field and hop out. And I've walked up and said, hey, just so you know, this is what I'm doing. Uh, the wind is blowing this direction and, you know, you either should maybe bring your your laundry off or you don't need to worry about your laundry. And they, you know, they're quite always uh, amazed that we stop to think about that. And then I guess for the sustainability aspect, what do you feel that you're doing on your farm that uh, you would classify as a sustainability practice? Right. So, you know, I, I mentioned the three different types or three different legs of sustainability. So, I mean, business planning is, is an important one. Um the social thing I, I've kind of mentioned, uh, the environmental thing, and it also encompasses the social part, is uh, soil health. Soil health is probably the biggest sustainability item that we're trying to do on our farm. Uh, healthy soils will essentially lead to clean water and clean air. Um, the healthier the soil, the more resilient the soil. So that's a financial part of the the economic part of sustainability. Um, being able to weather, you know, long periods of, of dry weather, drought weather with no rain, or periods of excessive rain in the soil, um, saturated soils. The more resilient your soil is, the, the better off you are. So cover cropping um, is definitely, definitely probably the, you know, the most prolific thing we're doing on the farm when it comes to sustainability practices. What are you using as a cover crop? So we've experimented with a lot uh, of different options, different timing, different species. Uh, some of the things we've done and some of the things we continue to do uh, are simple things like following winter wheat crop with covers. So we'll do anything after winter wheat as simple as, um, as broadcasting, a, uh, broadcasting a simple warm season grass or clover. Um, and then we've gone as sophisticated as planting bio strips after wheat, which uh, essentially kind of works like strip till, but all done with plants. Where we've we uh, you know we have some rows of oilseed radish that drill down deep into the soil um, and loosen up the soil. And then I've got ten or twelve other species, uh, anything from sunflowers to peas, uh, vetch, cereal rye, oats, uh, various uh, clovers and legumes. So. Sometimes we get quite intensive into a mix like that, and other times we keep things simple. Uh, we've also uh, done interseeding of cover crops into our uh, corn at side dress time. When corn's about knee high, uh, we're going in with a side dresser. We've gone and blown in some cover crops in between the rows, and come harvest time when you take the corn off, uh, you're driving on a really nice green layer of, uh, of cover crop species down below that have kind of had a synergistic relationship with our with our corn crop. and and uh, the good things happen. So when you're talking to, I guess, a public audience and you're talking about sustainability and, and using cover crops, how do you explain it in a way that uh, somebody who doesn't farm understands why you do that? Yeah, it, and it is, it's hard. It's tough to, to explain to someone that you're growing a crop that you're never going to harvest um, and that you're investing money into 
uh, but it's just there to die and go back into the soil. So uh, I try on a on a high enough level to have them understand um, that the populations of, of biology, bacteria, everything that's underneath us in the soil is is a huge, tremendous population. Um, and if we don't feed that population and keep it active and healthy, um, then we you know we don't have as we don't have as good a, a growing condition for our commercial crops um, but the environmental sustainability of that when it comes to sunlight hitting the soil um, and us essentially when sunlight hits the soil um, it's taking moisture and nutrients out of the soil um, when sunlight hits a green plant on the surface we're capturing carbon energy from the sun uh, and we're putting that into the soil for the commercial crops to be used that's kind of the easiest thing um, uh, you know, I've, even when I'm talking to kids, even my own kids, I, I've explained that, you know, it's like wearing a long sleeve shirt outside on a sunny day. Either you don't, you wear a sleeveless shirt and you get a sunburn, that's like leaving soil bare, or you le- you wear a long sleeve shirt uh, and your, your skin's much healthier because <laughs> it hasn't been depleted by the sun, so. And when you talk about, I guess, explaining things to kids, do you often have that issue? We, we've heard from farmers at times where their kids come home from school and there's been some misconceptions or some misinformation given at school. Have you encountered that with your kids? Uh, there has been a few uh, interesting conversations that have come back. So uh, we have a, a range of kids from kindergarten to grade 10 right now. And they, uh, yeah, my oldest, he's definitely... Uh, you know, in a few geography classes and, and social sciences and stuff like that. Uh, he's definitely had a few things and I've pushed him to challenge his teacher. I, I haven't said, well, your teacher's wrong. I said, I said, you need to, uh, you need to challenge your teachers. Don't, don't be afraid to challenge your teacher and say, well, I've understood it to be like this and, and let's talk more about it and have a conversation. I also go in and, and speak to, um, school age classes, uh, all the way from, kindergarten to high school age and I've actually even been at uh, at university um, the University of Guelph doing a, like a guest lecture to a class and uh, it doesn't matter what age kindergarten to uh, university you uh, will always be challenged and get challenges and uh, it's it's a great atmosphere to be in to to kind of produce those conversations and ask questions and ask people to think critically and stop and stop and think critically about things they've heard or understand is that one of the reasons why you were willing to do the Fields to Fork videos? Because you know that there is that need for more information and more education? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it's not an easy one to tackle. I mean, you can't have every single farmer that's out there uh, going to talk to schools every day. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to get, get the farm. Exactly. But it is critical, I do believe, that you know professionals in our field are able to go and speak, uh, speak to the classrooms because... Uh, you know, there's a lot of the, the urban areas are so large, um, you know, we don't have a good way of educating the educators on all of the intricacies. It's, it's no different than any other industry. Um, you know, if somebody misunderstands the auto industry, for instance, it's not like the teachers have a full education on, on labor and, and how things work that way. Um, and so it's, it's tough to get very specialized or high, you know, special information 
through to the education system and uh, through to the kids that are learning. So this video is out there and people are seeing it. Uh, you mentioned that uh, you've heard from people that, that have seen it. Have there been further conversations that have come out of the video? What sort of uh, a next step or reaction are you getting to that? We've had a lot of positive uh, responses to the video. Um, sometimes that will drum up some, some uh, maybe negative questions and we haven't had any of those yet. Um, I'm I won't be surprised when they do come if they do uh, but you know those are that's the reason why I do some of these things is to provoke those questions um, that's a lot of the reasons why I go speaking and, and the way that I do speak to groups uh, in, in classroom settings is to provoke provoke uh, you know critical thinking questions of them to say hmm are you really what is what you're telling us true because I've heard the opposite and that's that's my challenge or my goal is to try and provoke that type of thinking and have people question you know is this is this right there's a lot of media attention given when say activists show up on a farm putting yourself out there in the public do you have any of those concerns that you could be a target yes that's always i mean the uh livestock side of our agricultural industry definitely uh takes that uh, off the chin much more than than we do in the grain sector that being said i i um have always have always had the thought that you know we there there's a lot of gmo activists there's a lot of glyphosate activists as as examples and i don't i don't i think there will be a day that uh you know we we may see those folks uh come to visit the farm and again it, you need to you need to prepare yourself for that um that's not for the faint of heart, uh, dealing with activists right on your own private property. Uh, I have spoke with several other farmers who have experienced that, um, and I have some experience in, in training and, and talking with other other uh, farm operations in, in making those preparations. And yeah, I know part of me uh, welcomes welcomes activists, and it's it's uh it's an education um is what it is it's it's really listening and trying to understand first what their understanding of their issue or their problem is and then helping to explain maybe what reality is or what my my, my perception of the issue is um but yeah i think sometimes we we as much as we disagree with the activists sometimes it may be better to listen first and try and understand their perspective um because then they will be much better listeners to our perspective. And I guess that's good advice, not just for an activist, but for a general consumer who would also have some questions about farming. So what other tips would you have to uh, farmers who get into those conversations that can sometimes be difficult? Uh, some tips to farmers uh, would definitely be stick to what you know. Don't uh, don't try and tackle all the problems in the world. Um, if, if you're a grain farmer and someone's, uh, you know, trying to, an activist is out telling people not to you know drink milk or something like that if if you are not familiar with the industry or the the exact information don't try and uh run down that rabbit hole um and don't be afraid to uh let someone know that you you can get back to them with an answer if you don't have the answer um definitely don't try and attempt to uh to create one um go and get the right information and bring it back to them um, when it comes to social media and challenges on there, uh, you know, I was given a really good tip once uh, by, a, uh, by a really interesting farmer who deals with a lot of activists. And he, he said to me, you know what, if, if you want to challenge something in social media, um, 
put up your your response and then leave it don't carry on a long conversation the the reality is as farmers we're you know less than two percent of the population uh as loud as activists seem uh they're really only about two percent of the population as well that leaves 96 percent of the people in the middle and those people are all watching and listening to these conversations so be cautious of the long lengthy (laughs) spit and spat conversations you can get drawn into on social media and I guess talking about social media and, and technology, where do you see the future going when it comes to technology, especially as we relate it back to sustainability? Yeah, so that and that was part of the segment. Um, and Tennille, uh in our Fields to Forks video talked a little bit about that. And she she's actually been our main uh, sprayer operator for this season. And she's learned a lot of the technology that's helping, again, on the economic side, the uh the environmental side not necessarily the the social side but um the the auto steer technology that we use on all of our equipment planting uh spraying any field applications we use that that really uh, eliminates overlaps and it eliminates gaps so uh eliminating overlaps saves in product that we're applying to the field and doesn't over apply or double apply some areas um, and when we have gaps, that can create a, a larger issue, too, with, with weed seeds being spread around. Um, so that's, that's saving, uh, saving both environmentally and economically. Um, there's some really interesting technology coming down the road that, you know, that'll take that to another, another level, which is great. Um, and I think, honestly, uh, when we look at autonomous vehicles and robotics, I believe we'll be to a place where we'll be, you know, instead of applying to an area of a field, it'll be like specific plant applied, uh, you know, where technology will recognize this is a weed and we're going to, you know, we're going to put a drop of uh, product on it to, to kill it, or this is a plant and we're going to, uh, you know, apply a certain amount of fertilizer right to that specific plant or right to the root zone of that plant. So I think that's where things will go and uh, which will, you know, just help with that sustainability and help with the economic and environmental part of those things. And perhaps also the consumer perception of agriculture, if they understand what we're doing to sort of preserve the environment in that way. Because I guess that's another issue when we talk about consumers is they don't necessarily understand the amount of technology that is used on a farm. Right. And and that's a challenge. It's, it's truly a double-edged sword uh, in the fact that um, the reality is that we could get to uh, very accurate application with, as I said, robotics or un- unmanned, uh, un- you know, autonomous vehicles. The flip side of that is the perception from a consumer may be, oh my gosh, my food's being grown by robots now, right? And there's a there's potential for a negative connotation there. It's much, you know, you hear the you hear the term factory farming a lot from people who look negatively towards agriculture production. And and that's that's the double-edged sword of it that we can we can think that we're doing the right thing and doing a better job and better job, but unfortunately we also have a job today to educate. Uh, you know that was never the case in the 1950s and 60s. Farmers weren't educators; they were just farmers. And and now we have to explain what we're doing and why we're doing it and why what the positive reasons are that we're doing that. As a farmer, maybe offended isn't the right word, but do you feel like? You know, why do I have to explain how and why I do things? Because people in other jobs or industries don't necessarily have, have to do that. Absolutely. Th- that, that has been uh, definitely, you know, the source of some frustration um, in the past decade or so since there's been kind of a, 
a real surge in in this you know this mindset that we do need to explain what we're doing and why and it's it's led me to think you know just i mentioned a minute ago uh farmers like my dad's generation was never never had that issue never had that worry that concern and yeah today it's no different than pulling in me pulling into the you know one of our farms that somebody lives on a uh, lives on the corner lot or a severed property on that and i have to think okay oh yeah their laundry's out you know 30 40 50 years ago when a piece of farm equipment pulled on and laundry was definitely out back then people didn't have clothes dryers necessarily they just had the common sense to go out and say hey we got to bring the laundry in because the neighbor's spreading manure the neighbor's going to do this or that it's almost flipped it it's in reverse now yeah absolutely yeah and i don't want to say it's a lack of common sense but they're just the things things have changed and you're right it's it's flipped flipped 180 degrees um now we talked a lot about social media i know you're on twitter so people are interested in in following you how can they find you uh so i'm at dear dave d-e-e-r-e dave i like the color green of our equipment um and i am a bit of a john deere fanatic i've heard that you have quite a collection (laughs) yes i uh since i was a young child i've been collecting uh John Deere memorabilia and uh, models of farm tractors and farm equipment. So yeah, that's uh, that's what keeps me busy when I'm not busy. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the podcast today, Dave. Thank you, Rachel. It's been a pleasure. Joining us now on the podcast is the chair of Grain Farmers of Ontario, Marcus Hurl. Thanks for joining us today, Marcus. Yes, good afternoon, Rachel. We're on location at Canada's Outdoor Farm Show in Woodstock, and we just came from our annual general meeting, which was held this morning. Can you tell us a little bit about that meeting and what was discussed? Yeah, so uh, we actually had, first of all, a, an amazing turnout from our members and delegates that came out. We uh, discussed certainly all the uh, issues that uh, Grain Forest Ontario is working on, uh, on their behalf, because uh, we are their, uh, their advocate uh, when they're actually out in the fields during the work and uh, they, they need somebody to talk on their behalf. So we want to make sure that uh, there is a bit of understanding of the uh, the environmental aspect that we are facing at the moment. But uh, by environmental, I do not mean just weather. I mean also trade. And uh, I think there's a great impact happening to the uh, Ontario soybean industry at the moment, especially on the grower side. We're facing trade impacts. We're facing lower prices. And we're also facing a delayed harvest, which we shouldn't forget. And uh, I think there's a lot of situations that are in front of the farmers today that they need somebody to be ready to act on their behalf in case they actually require some uh, some assistance to address the issues. At the AGM, the districts also bring up some resolutions. Can you give us a general sense in terms of what some of the issues were that were brought forward from the districts? Yeah, so there was uh, a lot of conversation around trade, um, of uh, where we need to be engaged in. Some uh, resolutions were around AgriCorp, um, some of the uh, planting deadlines, some of the uh, uh, the policy changes that uh, AgriCorp implemented even during the uh, season of uh, 2019 which makes farmers really frustrated of uh, they're buying a coverage, they're uh, seeing that's being changed through the uh, the year, and uh, it caused some frustration. 
This morning we had an address by Minister Ernie Hardiman and then after the meeting was over you actually had a session here at the farm show with the minister about uh, agriculture issues. Can you give us a sense about what the conversation during that meeting was like? To my surprise red tape was actually top of agenda for everybody. So red tape reduction means maybe something different to different commodities that uh, that were there but uh, we can generalize it that uh, there needs to be a bit more action coming from the government because when I hear asks that means they haven't been fulfilled by uh, by the government to address them and us specifically uh, the grain farmers we're still asking about uh, the uh, seed treatment regulation to be basically totally removed we do have an overarching uh, body that's overseeing this, which is the federal level. So why does that need to be there? So the uh, other thing that I brought up was uh, trade, which was one for the top of the line, and also mental health. And um, because I cannot stress that more than I do now, is that uh, we need action from the uh, from all levels of government and institutions to be there in the time of need when a farmer needs to reach out that he has a, a problem or a situation that uh, he doesn't feel that he gets the help for that he can reach out at least to some organism that that's out there to, that, that can help him out. Did you get any sense I guess immediately in terms of how Minister Hardiman was uh, receptive to sort of our asks in terms of uh, the mental health issue or the neonic regulations? Maybe I should have added at the beginning actually the Premier was there too so it's more the premier that we wanted to make sure that he understands our issues. Minister Ardeman, we, we have a close communication with him uh, on a, either a weekly or monthly base that we touch base on what's happening out in the countryside. But I think the premier is the one that needs to get the information directly from the producers that he understands what the urgencies are and uh, how he has to address it with his um, departments within the government. Like, uh, it's his job to listen to us. Like, uh, we're only uh, another two and a half years away from another election. And uh, we can basically say within a year from now, that whole discussion about asks is going to change. Uh, then it will be uh, just quick action, no reaction to anything that we're going to bring forward. Along the lines of political asks, we're getting close to the federal election in October. What are we hoping that our farmer members will do from the grassroots level to raise our issues with the candidates in the federal election? Yeah, so we do have our four asks that, uh, that we want to make sure that every farmer is aware about what, the, uh, what we're actually asking for. So please go on the GFO website. They are on there. You can source them. Uh, a lot of farmers received already the, uh, the, the postcards back in, uh, in the general meetings when we uh, had some of them printed already out our ask. Make sure that you engage with the candidates out in your writings because they need to understand that you as a raw producer are the ones that are going to be hit by anything that's uh, that going to be implemented either on a policy level or even on a strategy that uh, a party has. Like the platforms sometimes can be in a disadvantage to our productions that we have. And uh, remember that we are 28,000 members 
that that GFO represents. So we are making up a large base of votes still. Like uh, yes, it's maybe all decided in the big cities, but every riding still has uh, something to uh, to bring forward to. And uh, often enough, it can be a swing vote. Like uh, every every vote is ne- is needed, and let's let's engage with them. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us about some of these issues today. You're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to our Grain Talk podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. For more ways to connect with us, including the latest webinar, market report, and our e-newsletter, go to gfo.ca slash grain talk. A special thank you to our guests this week, Dave McEachran and Marcus Hurl. If you like what you've heard today, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And remember, five-star reviews help us grow our audience.